Section 19 of Invisible Links. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Invisible Links by Selma Lagerlöf. Translated by Pauline Bancroft Flack. A Fallen King. Part 2. Several years after this, a divorced woman was married to a shoemaker, who had been apprenticed to her husband. She had not wished it, but had been drawn to it, as a pickerel is drawn to the side of a boat when it has been caught on the line. The fisherman lets it play. He lets it rush here and there. He lets it believe it is free. But when it is tired out, when it can do no more, then he drags with a light pull, then he lifts it up and jerks it down into the bottom of the boat before it knows what it is all about. The wife of the absconded shoemaker had dismissed her apprentice and wished to live alone. She had wished to show her husband that she was innocent. But where was her husband? Did he not care for her faithfulness? She suffered want. Her child went in rags. How long did her husband think that she could wait? She was unhappy when she had no one upon whom she could depend. Ericsson succeeded. He had a shop in the town. His shoes stood on glass shelves behind broad plate glass windows. His workshop grew. He hired an apartment and put plush furniture in the parlor. Everything waited only for her. When she was too wearied of poverty, she came. She was very much afraid in the beginning, but no misfortunes befell her. She became more confident as time went on and more happy. She had people's regard and knew within herself that she had not deserved it. That kept her conscience awake so that she became a good woman. Her first husband, after some years, came back to the house in the suburbs. It was still his, and he settled down again there and wished to begin work. But he got no work, nor would anybody have anything to do with him. He was despised, while his wife enjoyed great honor. It was nevertheless he who had done right, and she who had done wrong. The husband kept his secret but it almost suffocated him. He felt how he sank because everybody considered him bad. No one had any confidence in him. No one would trust any work to him. He took what company he could get and learned to drink. While he was going downhill, the Salvation Army came to town. It hired a big hall and began his work. From the very first evening all the loafers gathered at the meetings to make a disturbance. When it had gone on for about a week, Mats Wik came to take part in the fun. There was a crowd in the street, a crowd in the doorway. Sharp elbows and angry tongues were there. Street boys and soldiers, maids and scrub women, peaceable police and stormy rabble. The army was new and the fashion. 
the well-to-do and the wharf rats, everybody went to the Salvation Army. Within, the hall was low-studded. At the farthest end was an empty platform, unpainted benches, borrowed chairs, an uneven floor, blotches on the ceiling, lamps that smoked. The iron stove in the middle of the floor gave out warmth and coal gas. All the places were filled in a moment. Nearest the platform sat the women, demure as if in church, and back of them workmen and sewing women. Farthest away sat the boys on one another's knees, and in the doorway there was a fight among those who could not get in. The platform was empty. The clock had not struck. The entertainment had not begun. One whistled, one laughed. Then benches were kicked to pieces. The war cry flew like kite between the groups. The public were enjoying themselves. A side door opened. Cold air streamed into the room. The fire flamed up. There was silence. Attentive expectation filled the hall. At last they came, three young women, carrying guitars and with faces almost hidden by broad-brimmed hats. They fell on their knees as soon as they had ascended the steps of the platform. One of them prayed aloud. She lifted her head but closed her eyes. Her voice cut like a knife. During the prayer there was silence. The street boys and loafers had not yet begun. They were waiting for the confessions and the inspiring music. The women settled down to their work. They sang and prayed, sang and preached. They smiled and spoke of their happiness. In front of them they had an audience of ruffians. They began to rise. They climbed upon the benches. A threatening noise passed through the throng. The women on the platform caught glimpses of dreadful faces through the smoky air. The men had wet, dirty clothes, which smelt badly. They spat tobacco every other second, swore with every word. Those women who were to struggle with them spoke of their happiness. How brave that little army was! Ah, is it not beautiful to be brave? Is it not something to be proud of, to have God on one side? It was not worth while to laugh at them in their big hats. It was most probable that they would conquer the hard hands, the cruel faces, the blaspheming lips. Sing with us, cried the Salvation Army soldiers. Sing with us. It is good to sing. They started a well-known melody. They struck their guitars and repeated the same verse over and over. They got one or two of those sitting nearest to join in. But now sounded down by the door a light street song. Notes struggled against notes, words against words, guitar against whistle. The women's strong trained voices contested with the boys' hoarse falsetto, with the men's growling bass. When the street song was almost conquered, they began to stamp and whistle down by the door. The Salvation Army song sank like a wounded warrior. The noise was terrifying. The women fell on their knees. They knelt as if powerless. Their eyes were closed. Their bodies rocked in silent pain. The noise died down.
The Salvation Army captain began instantly. Lord, all these thou wilt make thine own. We thank thee, Lord, that thou wilt lead them all into thy host. We thank thee, Lord, that it is granted to us to lead them to thee. The crowd hissed, howled, screamed. It was as if all those throats had been tickled by a sharp knife. It was as if the people had been afraid to be won over, as if they had forgotten that they had come there of their own will. But the woman continued, and it was her sharp, piercing voice which conquered. They had to hear. You shout and scream. The old serpent within you is twisting and raging. But this is just the sign. Blessings on the old serpent's roarings. It shows that he is tortured, that he is afraid. Laugh at us, break our windows, drive us away from the platform. Tomorrow you will belong to us. We shall possess the earth. How can you withstand us? How can you withstand God? Then the captain commanded one of her comrades to come forward and make her confession. She came smiling. She stood brave and undaunted, and told the story of her sin and her conversion to the mockers. Where had that kitchen girl learned to stand smiling under all that scorn? Some of those who had come to scoff grew pale. Where had these women found their courage and their strength? Someone stood behind them. The third woman stepped forward. She was a beautiful child, daughter of rich parents, with a sweet, clear voice. She did not tell of herself. Her testimony was one of the usual songs. It was like the shadow of a victory. The audience forgot itself and listened. The child was lovely to look at, sweet to hear. But when she ceased, the noise became even more dreadful. Down by the door they built a platform of benches, climbed up and confessed. It became worse and worse in the hall. The stove became red-hot, devoured air and belched heat. The respectable women on the front benches looked about for a way to escape, but there was no possibility of getting out. The soldiers on the platform perspired and wilted. They cried and prayed for strength. Suddenly a breath came through the air, a whisper reached their ear. They knew not from where, but they felt a change. God was with them. He fought for them. To the struggle again. The captain stepped forward and lifted the Bible over her head. Stop! Stop! We feel that God is working among us. A conversion is near. Help us to pray. God will give us a soul. They fell on their knees in silent prayer. Some in the hall joined in the prayer. All felt an intense expectation. Was it true? Was something great taking place in a fellow-creature's soul here, in their midst? Should it be granted to them to see it? Could it be influenced by these women? 
for the moment the crowd was won. They were now just as eager for a miracle as lately for blasphemy. No one dared to move. All panted from excitement, but nothing happened. O oh God, thou forsakest us, thou forsakest us, thou forsakest us, O oh God. The beautiful salvation soldier began to sing. She chose the mildest of melodies. O oh, my beloved, wilt thou not come soon? Touching as a praying child, the song entered their souls like a caress, like a blessing. The crowd was silent, wrapped in those notes. Mountains and forests long, heaven and earth languish. Man, everything in the world, thirst that you shall open your soul to the light. Then glory will spread over the earth. Then the beasts will rise up from their degradation. O oh, my beloved, wilt thou not come soon? It is not true that thou dost linger in lofty halls. In the dark wood, in the miserable hovels thou dwellst and thou wilt not come. My bright heaven does not tempt thee. O oh, my beloved, wilt thou not come soon? In the hall more and more began to sing the burden. Voice after voice joined in. They did not rightly know what words they used. The tune was enough. All their longings could sing itself free in those tones. They sang, too, down by the door. Hearts were bursting. Wills were subdued. It no longer sounded like a pitiful lament, but strong, imperative, commanding. O oh, my beloved, wilt thou not come soon? Down by the door, in the worst of the crowd, stood Matsvik. He looked much intoxicated, but that evening he had not drunk he stood and thought if i might speak if i might speak it was the strangest room he had ever seen the most wonderful chance a voice seemed to say to him these are the rushes to which you can whisper the waves which will bear your voice the singer started it was as if they had heard a lion roar in their ears. A mighty, terrible voice spoke dreadful words. It scoffed at God. Why did men serve God? He forsook all those who served him. He had failed his own son. God helped no one. The voice grew louder, more like a roar every minute. No one could have believed that human lungs could have such strength. No one had ever heard such ravings burst from bruised hearts. All bent their heads like wanderers in the desert when the storm beats on them. Terrible, terrible words. They were like thundering hammer strokes against God's throne, against him who had tortured Job, who let the martyrs suffer, who let those who professed his faith burn at the stake. A few had at first tried to laugh. Some of them had thought that it was a joke, but now they heard, quaking, that it was in earnest. 
already some rose up to flee to the platform. They asked the protection of the Salvation Army from him who drew down upon them the wrath of God. The voice asked them in hissing tones what rewards they expected for their trouble in serving God. They need not count on heaven. God was not free-handed with his heaven. A man, he said, had done more good than was needed to be blessed. He had brought greater offerings than God demanded. But then he had been tempted to sin. Life is long. He paid out his hard-earned grace already in this world. He would go the way of the damned. The speech was the terrifying north wind which drives the ship into the harbour. While the scoffers spoke, women rushed up to the platform. The Salvation Army soldiers' hands were embraced and kissed. They were scarcely able to receive them all. The boys and the old men praised God. He who spoke continued. The words intoxicated him. He said to himself, I speak, I speak, at last I speak. I tell them my secret, and yet I do not tell them. For the first time since he made the great sacrifice, he was free from care. End of Part 2 of A Fallen King From Invisible Links by Selma Lagerlöf Translated by Pauline Bancroft Flack Read by Lars Rolander